0: You're listening to the Parking Podcast. Views and opinions are my own. Welcome back to another episode of the Parking Podcast. With us today is Catherine Beatty, Vice President of Implementation at TAS, and also probably someone I've worked longer with than anyone in this industry. We used to work together at a parking management company. How are you doing today, Catherine?
1: I'm doing excellent. How are you?
0: I'm great. I may have stole your thunder there, but because my first question, as you know, if you've listened to the podcast before, is how did you get into parking?
1: Ah, Well, I got in when I was 20 years old. Um, I was working at a sporting clays club and the business got sold and I had to find another job that paid cash because I was putting myself through college. And I responded to an ad for valets. I got hired. It was funny. My manager who hired me said, I got good news and bad news. The good news is you have a job. The bad news is you're the only female out of 15 people. I was like, well, that sounds like a win-win to me. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And then uh, that was it. I just started parking cars at a valet and worked my way up from there. And that was uh, early on where I found my first person stealing and I turned them in. And then that just kind of evolved into, hey, you should go into management. And I was like, are you crazy? I got to go to school. Yeah, I, I, I want to be, be a historian.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, knowing you, I think you made the the right decision though, because uh, yeah, we're gonna talk about that loss prevention. But I I always feel like I've been lacking something in my career, and I never earned my stripes as a valet driver like ninety nine percent of the industry. I still don't even know how to drive a a stick shift. Uh, which oh my God, which, is, so which is which is <laughs> embarrassing to say on the podcast, but. Um, Yeah. No, you talked about that caught someone stealing. That's not Mm -hmm. the first time. Probably won't be the last because we both worked at Republic Parking System. And it seemed, I mean, you practically built the loss prevention auditing department from the ground up. So uh, I don't know. Tell us why you kind of got drawn to that, why you think that's important in in parking and what is it about that loss prevention and auditing that's uh, important to you?
1: Well, early on, I just... Noticed I had a natural like instinct for it. Um, It wasn't ever my intention to really go down that path. I just happened to naturally be able to see where the loopholes were within our systems. Um, Because early on in my career, I worked with central parking in the beginning. And I just had a knack for noticing loopholes in the system that people would take advantage of and it would cost us a lot of money. And I, so I just naturally had a, you know, drive to prevent that from happening because I just obviously wanted to put all the money in the bank for my clients. And then over the years, it just evolved into creating procedures and policies in place. When I transferred with Republic, I was just very passionate about wanting to control that part of our business as a whole, because back then in the, you know, early- you know, nineties, um, and late, you know, late nineties and early two thousands, a lot of it was still cash driven. So like, you know, majority of that money coming in was cash control. And it was so easy to manipulate your numbers back then. Um, you know, know how many, you know, how
0: many millions of dollars had been stolen from honor boxes.
1: (laughs) Oh, I know. Right. Like whether it be by like the local bum on the street, breaking it open with a, you know, a, You know, screwdriver (laughs) to you know the managers going, oh, this one's for me. The next one's for the the (laughs) client. This one's for me. (laughs) Like you would not believe the create the amount of creative ways that I've seen money get taken again by internal and external parties. So for me, it really just became kind of like a game and a puzzle to always try to solve, always try to find a loophole, always try to find that crack that people are going to exploit and again, I just had a natural instinct for it. So that's why my career path kind of took that trajectory.
0: Yeah. I'm going to ask you for some stories in parking, but I think like fraud prevention as a whole, didn't you, did you get like a certification or something with loss prevention?
1: I I do. So I have my um, ACFE, which is a, it's basically a certification um, for fraud. I'm basically a, a certified fraud examiner which basically means I have the credentials to look at all different types of fraud um, and the uh, backing and to actually testify in court against my findings. So basically it gives you the ability to be an expert witness within your investigations. Um, If you don't have a certification and you're doing fraud investigation, then you usually have to have somebody like a CPA sign off on your work to verify it for accuracy. But with an ACFE, that's not always required then because you then become the expert um, with your certification and your background. And you have lots of continuous education credits you have to get every year. Like, Cap's got nothing on (laughs) on the amount of education credits I have to take every year.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, I I remember you going through that and studying for that. So, yeah, so before we get into into parking, just let's just talk fraud in general. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, I've seen some presentations you've done. I remember taking good notes, and so I may reference some of those from from my notes app, I think one was pretty interesting. Is how is fraud most often discovered? So is it employees snitching out employees, customers coming back saying I didn't get a receipt? Is it managers catching it? Is it auditing? Like what's been your history, or what does you know the your 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 education uh, tell you when it comes to that?
1: It's actually a really good question. So about forty percent of fraud is caught by tips. And that could be tips from employees, customers, um, coworkers, managers, things of that nature. And then the next largest chunk of audit um, or of fraud that is, is caught is by internal audit. So 40 percent by tips and people tipping you off or calling a hotline, 15 percent by internal audit, and then the next highest number from there is by accident, which is seven percent. And ironically, mm. only about four percent of audits are count are um, discovered. I'm sorry, about four percent of frauds are discovered by an external audit firm. So that's what I always found most interesting is a lot of these contractual requirements that we would have as parking operators would require us to oh, hire yeah. pay, an external audit. Hey, pay,
0: pay twenty grand and you know yes. to check to check a box, but you ignore your super or your employee who says, "Bobby's stealing." Just I don't care. I'm just telling you, I. And we ignore those those tips. And I've always so- shocked that the team knows. Like you, if you, if you were to ask a cashier or a supervisor, they'll tell you what they think's happening. And usually, they're right. Uh, I just always found that interesting. Listen to those tips. Is is I guess my big takeaway from from what you've just discussed.
1: Absolutely, external audits are not going to do it. That's going to catch four percent of your fraud.
0: Mm. Still good to do. I get it. And we'll continue to do that. And I know a lot of bonding requirements and then contracts require that. But it's good to have your own internal audit team. And it's also good to do. I used to do them. What do they call them? When you kind of walk up to a cashier, have a step out of the booth, you do a quick little
1: Mm -hmm. reconciliation.
0: Spot audit. audit. Yeah, spot audit. And and (laughs) that's my biggest fear, too. I don't want to get off topic, but we All this technology is great and what's coming into the industry, we're jumping leaps and bounds. But, and even as we get away from cash control, there's still fraud out there. There's still loss prevention, still very important. So I think it's, uh, I'm glad we're talking about this. But what are some, I guess, red flags, you know, that a a manager should be looking for to prevent fraud? Is this could be in parking or in general that, that you've seen or studied?
1: Um, well, a lot of the red flags, um, dealing with your internal team of, of people that you're looking at is you want to look and see if somebody's maybe living beyond their means. Um, that's probably the red flag that has popped the most for me. Like, for example, you know, I had a valet who was still in college. He was like maybe 20 years old. And like, right after a large event, he went out and bought like this massive turbo and put it on his car and souped it up. And I was like, there's no way this kid could afford a turbo on his car. It's like a ridiculous amount of money. And I was like, dude, I can't even afford to put a turbo on my car at that time. So when I started looking into it, sure enough, he had been stealing from our special events. Um, So you want to look at that if they're struggling with financial difficulties, um, which really sad, um, especially on the management side of things, is when you're dealing with somebody who's going through, let's say, a really bad divorce. Like I remember this one case where this guy he'd been with us for like ten years, and he was going through a really bad divorce and battling a custody case for his kids, and he had lost, and he was paying uh, this you know, insane amount of child support whereas his paycheck was barely enough to live on. And, and attorney, the guy just,
0: attorney fees and all that, yeah. Yeah,
1: and the poor guy just got so down on his luck and so desperate that he started stealing. And within two weeks, he'd stolen like 40 grand. And, you know, you have to look at those kinds of things. As horrible as it is, you could have the best person in the world, but when their circumstances change and they feel that pressure, then they can talk themselves into almost doing anything. Yeah. They're like, well, I'm I the- do it.
0: I call that no, excuse me. Yeah, I call that the, the breaking the Breaking Bad stealing. You know that show, the Breaking Bad, where <laughs>
1: yes, you have a
0: sick child or something, and it, it makes you do things. It could be th- the best person in the world, but under certain circumstances, maybe they, for their family, they they, you know, decide to steal or, or you know do fraud. So no, that that's good, and then. You know, I know you've worked for several parking operators. Let's not name them all to protect the innocent. Yes. But, but, what like, what are some pretty unique things uh, you found over the years? How people were stealing that maybe some managers could, you know, take some, uh, take some tips and help catch maybe something happening in their, in their uh, operation.
1: Yeah, I would say the biggest thing you want to control is separation of duties. The largest theft I have witnessed of all time was $500,000 worth from one person. A single person had taken over $500,000 in cash. And it would have been discovered at any point if they had had the separation of duties. They had them in place, but nobody was actually monitoring them and following through on them. And that wasn't just in the local office. It was in the local office, in the corporate office. It was from the client's perspective. They had all these controls and mechanisms in place to prevent this exact type of thing from happening, yet nobody was actually looking at them. And nobody actually was following them. They were so, all taking their own little shortcut.
0: Yeah. So a manager does the deposit slips, does the bookkeeping, takes the money mm-hmm. to the bank. It's it's not separated. It's easier that way. So yeah, making sure you have the separation of duties. Um, Correct. That's, yeah, yeah. Uh, same thing with a lot of these um, meter collection uh, operations. Mm-hmm. Some there's some really small towns, and they only the payroll can only afford one meter. Tech who does the tech, the collections, the uh, maintenance of the meters, and you've got to have a closed canister collection system. But the, you know, I would even then we'd have a perfect closed collection. So there's no way he can access the the money. All he did was take out the canisters and put a red coffee cup in, mm-hmm. in the meters, and then <laughs> uh, that's a real. And you know what we caught it, a spot out of it. You know, I want all the keys. Two managers, let's go. We're gonna open up every single meter. So uh can't underestimate enough the the spot audits um having closed system and having that separation of duties
1: well and if you can have the separation of duties technology really helps that way too with like cameras and things of that nature we had this one on-street operation that was still doing coins much like you were talking about and do you remember the canisters where they're on wheels and they have like the cylinder with the lock on it yeah the carts yeah yeah so they had like 10 carts so they would sign them out and log them out every day well the The employee was actually really, really smart. They went out and bought the exact same lock that was on it, and they put it on the 10th canister. And they're like, well, we never turn in all 10 canisters because we just don't have that much business. So what he would do is he would take canister number 10 out first, fill it, stick it in the back, and then he would turn in the, you know, canisters like, you know, one, two, three, and four, but he would use canister 10 first. Well, he had his own lock on that. He would wow. switch it out when he got into it, empty it out into a backpack, hand it to somebody off on the on the route. Um, meet them. They would then take the money, and he would put the lock back on and take it back to the shop. And it looked like the canister and the the cart just never got used because it was you know number ten, and they never got past number five. Well, he was just using them out of order, emptying it out, and had replaced the lock with the exact same lock, so nobody knew it wasn't Crazy. the same lock. Yeah. So they can be very clever when it comes to finding ways to manipulate the system.
0: No, absolutely. And it's just so many little things you can do. Like I had a counter that had a a big purse and I don't think she was stealing, but I had to tell her like no purses or bags in the count room. Cause it's so easy to hide your back to the camera and slide in some money right down into your purse. You know, so it's, there's just, being proactive, I guess that's another takeaway. Counting the carts, checking the cameras. And and these people are smart. They know where the cameras are, they know where the where the blind spots are. They and another one, yeah, I remember too. The one that I caught stealing, Living Beyond the Means, that it wasn't so much, but it was like this almost like Robin Hood complex where mm-hmm. he just said he started, I want to buy pizza for the team, would come in with like 10 pizzas and <laughs> we just keep doing things that was really kind, but almost it was like he was trying to justify his theft by robbing the rich and giving to the poor in a way. But And that was a, a tip too, you know, a bank, he was going to a bank out of town and they just said, you know, he deposits a lot of coin. And so that led us to kind of start doing spot audits and we we found what he was doing. But yeah, that's, that's great.
1: A lot of times, too, the employees will start off small and then escalate from there. It might start off small as something as like, "I'm gonna, I, I don't get paid for another two days, so I'm gonna take five dollars out of the till to go to McDonald's and get lunch." And then, when nobody holds me accountable for that shortage, I start to escalate from there and figure out other ways that I can do it because I don't get held accountable for that.
0: So you know? true, especially like you know, docking someone's pay because of a shortage or they didn't turn mm-hmm. in their uniforms, and then you know they they were wronged and they they said. I'm getting my money back. You know, you're I was not that was not my fault for that twenty dollar shortage. I'm gonna steal that twenty back. And they realize how easy it is. And it's it's just crazy. Some operations where the cashier has the key to lift the gate. They just there's just no control. So I don't know. I mean, I know that's a big question, but like what what's like a playbook? How do you get this going? If if you're on the podcast listening, like, yeah, I'm pretty sure my cashiers are stealing and my supervisor is stealing like. What do you think, Catherine? Well, how do you? What do you? How do you get
1: started? Well, I think the easiest way to get started is to create a playbook for your operation. So, what I did was I created um, what I called an urban audit book for my, you know, previous life. Let's say my parking operating career. Yeah. So, what I did is I created a book of questions of. What control mechanisms needed to be in place in order to prevent or lower the risk of fraud? Because you you can never prevent it altogether. All you can do is limit the amount of risk you're opening yourself up to for fraud. And whether that be internal or external participants, because let's face it, our, our customers can steal just as much as our employees do. So for me, it was creating a series of questions. You know, are they using sealed deposit bags? Um, Is there separation of duty? And start asking yourself questions. How are all the ways people can manipulate the system and get those out for each particular operation? If it's an on-street, if it's a valet, if if it's um, a garage with a cashier, is it um, pay-on-foot machines? Are you looking at the audit reports? Do they go in sequential order? So you start with a list of questions and then you just start going through your operation and seeing, are they complying with this or not? Are they following these rules or not? simple yes or no. And what I did is I always gave it a scale of a, of a, a three, two, one, or a three, I did five, three, one. So five meaning if you're getting a five, that means everything's good if you get a yes. But if you get a no, that's a big no. Because a five means you're affecting the financial flow of the operation. You're, you're affecting the money going to the bank. And then a three would be if it's an operational challenge. Like if you're not complying by these, it causes an operational issue. Like let's say it leaves you open for liability risk, like somebody could slip and fall and hit their head. Um, Because let's face it, that's an issue too. And there's a lot of fraud that happens, whether it's people putting fake valet claims in or slip and falls and things of that nature. Oh, so, I didn't think
0: about that. Yeah, the customer. Yeah, yeah it was beyond Fraud money. Is not,
1: yeah. yeah, fraud's not just about money. Fraud's also about your um, supplies walking out. Like, did you buy a lawnmower and your maintenance guy took it home? Are they getting their vehicles worked on instead of the the company cars? You or know, things gas. Of that nature.
0: Do you fill up the enforcement car almost all exactly. the way and then put $5 in your car you know, or <laughs> fill up a can? I've seen that before. Yeah, that's great.
1: Exactly. So you have to come up with a series of questions. So then a number one was something that didn't necessarily wasn't urgent, but it was still something I wanted them to comply to. And so I would then go in and ask these questions and either they and score it. That way they got a weighted score. Did you pass your your review? And I call them, I don't call them audits. It's a compliance review because auditing is very like adversarial. People feel like you're in, you know, internal, you know, like you're um what what do you call it when the cops um internal affairs. Mm-hmm. And I never wanted that approach. So the reason I was so successful with 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 fraud prevention in my history was that we always took it as a compliance and training perspective. We would come in and say, "Look, we're not auditing you. We're doing a compliance review. If you guys are following these policies and procedures, then you're making it where we're at low risk for fraud. If you're not, then we're at high risk for fraud and we need to control those loops, you know, those loopholes." And in addition to that, if I catch fraud, <laughs> then obviously I'm going to deal with it. But the goal was never to come in there and be like, oh, I'm going to catch people stealing I'm going to fire them. It was never our goal. Our goal was always to limit the risk that we were leaving ourselves open to so that it wasn't happening at such a large scale. And then you can get people to buy into the process then they understand that you take it serious and that you're looking at these things because sometimes even just the perception that you're looking at these things is enough to prevent fraud. It's enough to get one person to say, "Mm, no, they come in here every month and do a quarterly review and it's just not worth my job or it's not worth my freedom or it's not worth, you know, um, what I would have to go through to get it. So that's the point of doing it. So I would start there, create a book of questions and a process, a weighted process where you can give people an evaluation and give them a chance to improve it. Because, again, a lot of the risk that you're opening yourself up to isn't necessarily fraud. It's just mis- training, like people not understanding what they should be doing and not understanding why they should be doing it. And then once you explain it, then they're willing to comply and follow the rules. The fraud is just a secondary you know, element of that, that you know you want to get control of because let's face it, they can take a lot of money, but ultimately the goal should be running a successful operation.
0: Yeah. And I love what you said about when they see you auditing or putting in controls even if you find nothing, you are changing behavior. You are maybe preventing fraud a year from now, or six months from now, or six weeks from now, when that person, because I don't like the, what is it called when cops, uh, what is it called when entrapment, Mm -hmm. I don't like that, but sometimes you put 20 extra dollars in their starting bank, so they start with 120, instead of $100, at the end of their shift, they should be $20 over. And they say no, hundred dollars, and they put twenty dollars in their pocket. It, it was just, I've had cashiers saying I had an extra twenty. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, we we put that in there as a test, but I don't know how everyone feels about that. But but it's just putting in those things, those practices. Again, you may not find something now, but trust me, you're, you're, there's long term effects that. We're gonna take a, a quick break here. Word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Parker Technology, the customer experience solution of choice in the parking industry. Parker's Solution puts a virtual ambassador in every lane to help parking guests pay and get on their way in under a minute. Parker helps capture revenue, provides better customer service, enables your staff to focus on other on-site tasks, and keeps traffic moving, all according to your business rules. With the Parker Solution, you'll also enjoy access to real-time call data and recordings. Learn more at helpmeparker.com slash parkingpodcast and we're back catherine have you ever seen the show ozark
1: yes i love that show <laughs>
0: okay i thought there was a great fraud lesson in there so he they catch a cashier stealing and you know let's say let's say someone on the call they have a cashier they catch him stealing hear her you know they're 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 crying. I'm a single dad, single mom. You know, I need this job. It will never happen again. I. This is the first time I've ever stolen. You know, do you give second chances for something like that?
1: No, <laughs> I personally don't. Uh, no, once you, they've, you once don't. they've crossed that line, usually by the time you've catch them, caught them, they've done it and it escalated to that point. They always start off small and then they get greedy. And then once they get to that point, they can't turn it off. It's just psychologically, they're just too far into it right then and there. Um, and I also think it's funny, and this is important because this is something that was really hard for me to learn in my career. And it, it's it's going to make me sound like I'm bitter, but I can tell you this is from personal experience. Your best employees will actually steal the most from you. The employees that work the hardest, that wow. you never suspect, that you'd never go on vacation. I mean, I can remember this one time to keep his identity. Let's just say BK. I remember one time he would bet me a million dollars that this one person wasn't taking money, that it would be anybody else in the operation. <laughs> and it turned out to be that person. And that person walked away with a lot of money. <laughs> did
0: you Did you get your million dollars though? That's the question. Uh, no, I wish uh. I did. <laughs> but
1: uh, I can yeah. tell you probably eight out of 10 times, the person you least suspect is the person who takes the most money. Now you're disgruntled employees and things of that nature don't get me wrong, they they will commit fraud as well. But the people who actually take the most financial, the people who do the most financial damage to your organization are going to be your managers and your executives that you trust the most. They have access to more, they have access to more controls and access to more money to do more damage than 100 employees.
0: Wow. And, and that's another red flag. Uh, man, we're giving, you're giving away some gold nuggets here. <laughs> the Employees that don't take time off because they know someone else does the collection count and collections is up five hundred or one thousand dollars the day they're on vacation that's a red flag you you notice the canisters not labeled you notice the canisters not sealed you notice the coffee cups in the meters you know you know so it's uh, yeah you and notice now, your
1: it, event cash is up thirty thousand yeah <laughs> why the same
0: event on a Tuesday beat the event from Friday you know so it's Way more cash. <laughs> so again, there are great employees that aren't stealing. There are yes. bad employees that aren't stealing. There's there's employees that don't take up time off that aren't stealing. But when you see those people that are almost uh, overly aggressive about their shift and they're no one, not training anyone, not having anyone cover for them, you know that's that's been a red flag in my experience. So. Enough on that. Now you're with Tez. Love this company. I think you've been there for about a year now. Um, uh, Well, first, uh, I love the titles. I've seen some pretty crazy (laughs) ones. I guess you don't have one. You're just VP of uh, implementation or did you get a cool title?
1: Uh, No, I got to pick my cool title and it is the Quizax Hatterack. So for those of you Dune fans- Is that Dune? uh,
0: Yeah, man. It is. (laughs) Okay. I just watched the new Dennisville and Nueva one.
1: So for the last about eight years, my husband used to always say that I was the Quiz X Hatterack of parking, and I was like, "What is this?" And He's like, "It's from the book Dune," and so I read the book and watched the movie back. You know, the first movie, not this not new one with Jason Momoa, but um, which is good by the way. It um is. So he used to always tell me I was the Quiz X Hatterack of parking, that I was like always finding like the shortening of the way through these messes and solving problems and and basically coming through and, and delivering both sides of a viewpoint in order to solve a problem. And so when I got on with Tez, he's like, you get to pick your title. You have to put the QuizX Hatterack. <laughs> and that's, <so. laughs>
0: that's, and I know you pretty well. That's a great title for you because that's <laughs> what you've done time and time again. So that's just another example of the great culture at Tez. And by the way, yes, I've seen the David Lynch version too, 1984. That's pretty good as well, but love the new one. Uh, so tell us about Tez. What do you, what do you do there?
1: Um, So I'm in charge of their implementation. So basically anytime you purchase one of our product lines, myself and my team help implement it for you so that you don't have to do any of the heavy lifting. So just say, for example, you have to change your entire monthly parking billing software. That's an astronomical task to take on. And so what we do is... When you get with our products, we take all that and do the implementation for you. So, you, all you have to do is provide us with the raw data and we will do everything else. We will convert it. We will build the spreadsheets. We will build your rate codes. We'll train your staff. We'll train your clients. So, anytime you buy our products, that's what we do. We make that process as easy as possible because you're busy running your operations or running your municipalities or running your universities or running your airports. And the last thing you want to deal with is having to change over to a new technology. So mm. that's what my department does is we come in and and do that process. Much like I did with you when I worked in, you know, with you with municipalities when we would taken them over, you know, I'd go there for 30 days and help train, you know, from the financial perspective, yeah. how to set up the bookkeeping, how to set up the accounting, how to train your staff, how to use whatever technologies we were putting in place for those municipalities. It's kind of the same concept just on the technology side.
0: Yeah, no great role for you and I'm sure you knocked that out of the part. And I'm thinking of a specific team member on your team. Who I love dearly. Can you <laughs> give you wanna give her a sh- give her no the uh, a female on your team? You wanna give her oh. a shout out?
1: You talking about my Shelly?
0: Yes, hi Shelly. Yes. If she's listening, <laughs> love Shelly. And of course, love Steve Resnick. He's been on the podcast as well, a mentor and probably one of my closest friends as well. That all my friends are in parking. I don't know if that's sad or awesome, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And so yeah, one thing you, you mentioned when you're talking about you know going in there and switching out a monthly parking platform. So I didn't know Tez does it. So you guys have a way to do monthly billing and, um, you know, interface with like turning cards off and on that billing and invoicing and, and all that.
1: Yeah. So we actually have a monthly parking solution called permit to park. And what's really great about our software as opposed to others um, in the industry is that it really focuses on the self-registration component for the customer. So it's the it's a truly subscription-based model, much like Netflix is or Amazon, where you put the customer in control of their account. So you, as the operator, would be able to set up the guardrails of, of how you want them to be able to access their account and what they can do with it. But then you basically give it to them to manage. So if they need to update their vehicle information or their contact details, they do it themselves. It's all where they pay online via e-check or credit card. Um, they can self-register with a link. Um, that's unique to your, your location. It's all white labeled with you know the parking you know, or the client's information. And it's basically a way to put it all back into your customer's hands.
0: That's really cool. Because I remember back in the day when I did it, You know they'd have to come out, fill out a form because they mm-hmm. swapped their red Honda to a blue Toyota. And I just like, so much more than our clerk would have to get the form, make a copy, type it in. So I like that we're now putting it back into the hands of the consumers. And if it's anything like your text to park solution, valet to park, those are pretty slick things you guys are doing. So I'm sure it's totally easy. I don't know if people know that, but that's what <laughs> TES stands for, totally easy parking uh, solutions out there. So, uh, Especially
1: yeah. in today's world with the reduction of staff that we all have available yeah. and how hard it is to hire employees, the more you can automate your processes across your your product lines the easier it is for everybody because we just don't have the manpower to do these things manually anymore like we used to in our industry as a whole. Our industry has been affected drastically from the the pandemic that way. So anything that you can do, no matter what product or vendor you're using that automates those systems, I highly recommend focusing on making those changes in your operation.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Give them a shout out. Perfect segue. So how can listeners learn more, follow along with test parking?
1: Oh um well you can go to our website at testtechnology.com or check out our LinkedIn page and then I will be um, at the IPMI conference working the registration desks and we'll have a booth so definitely hit us up there you know just keep your eyes open
0: yeah and I gave you a shout out cuz you worked the registration desk last IPMI but you weren't supposed to you just saw a long line <laughs> i know your personality you're a vp of implementation go lies, project manager so you I would just die laughing because you just jumped in there and the rest of the day, you were just printing registration stickers and giving the spiel and handing out bags. I was like, of course, Catherine, don't do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't help help myself. Their Uh, computers were down and they were trying to deal with it. And I just just uh, stepped up and jumped in. I was like, I'm sorry, I can't help myself. (laughs)
0: No, you're great. You're great. So when you're not solving parking problems and catching fraud, what do you like to do for fun? Oh, and again, I know you, hopefully you can talk about the birds. Cause that's pretty cool.
1: That's actually what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. Tell me. <laughs> so my husband and I run a bird sanctuary for raptors out of our house. So we spend our free time rescuing owls, hawks, and eagles. So if a bird is orphaned in the wild or injured in the wild, that's an owl, hawk, eagle, uh, vulture, things of that, that, we get calls and we go rescue them and then we rehabilitate them. So we have a hospital in our house and we work on them to get them back into good health so they can be released into the wild. And if they can't be released into the wild, we try to find them a home in an education program. So a lot of my free time goes to um, that organization. It's called Happiness Wildlife Rehabilitation and Rescue. It's based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And that's what we do in our free time. So my house is, is an animal sanctuary between the dogs and cats that we've rescued. We also have a bunch of birds in our house usually.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Is there a way that we can, <laughs> listeners could, because uh, I'm I'm telling you right here, the parking podcast is going to make a small donation. Because <laughs> is, is, is there a way to do that for your for your Absolutely. If you,
1: if you go to our website, happinesswildlife.com, yeah. um, you can make a donation there. And we're also on Facebook um, at Happiness Wildlife. And you can donate through Facebook directly as well. And we appreciate everything because let me tell you, it's very expensive <laughs> buying rats. We go through about $1,000 a month in rats. Yes, I oh, actually feed goodness. frozen rats to my, my birds. And Wow. Yeah.
0: yeah, Wow. No, I for sure will do that. So, and I'll put that link in the show notes as well. But Catherine, one of my favorite people in the industry, thank you so much for your friendship and support. And all the work you did for me, uh uh just because you're a kind person with Excel spreadsheets that I'm terrible at, you would you would knock them out. But uh thank you for joining the podcast and uh, have a great week.
1: Oh, thank you. And if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't know how to write articles.
0: Uh, oh yeah, we have a, <laughs> a published author on, on the podcast. And I, I will have- I will brag on myself. That is the, maybe the one time I've given back with Catherine is is uh is we I just added it. You you wrote that piece. That was awesome. But no, great job um, getting published. So. all right, well, Catherine. Have a good one. You too. This episode is brought to you by Tez Technology. Since 1993 Tez has developed innovative text-based mobile solutions designed to streamline operations, increase efficiency, and improve overall customer experiences. My favorite is the ability to pay for parking without having to download an app. Tez solutions includes SMS valet, text to park, permit to park, and much more. I think every organization or city or university should be adding Tez to their payment options arsenal. Learn more about Tez at tezhq.com.